yes, I am actually finishing the series today. Thank you, Julianne. And so we're, we're going to be launching Christmas. I mean, we're still going to be talking about Jesus next month because it's the Advent and Jesus coming to the earth. So that's all great. You know, getting ready for Christmas. We're excited for Christmas. Our daughters are coming home, which we're excited about. Um, I didn't really miss them until I bought their plane tickets to come home. Then I missed them a little bit. Um, I feel like they're getting a little bit soft, though, living in Arizona. Uh, I asked, we were FaceTiming last night and, you know, asking what the weather's like. It's like 25 degrees down there, still in the middle of the day, and they're like wearing jeans and sweaters. I'm like, you guys are getting soft. So when you come home, you're going to be walking the dogs out in the snow every day because I've been walking your dogs that you wanted, and then you left the country. All right. We are finishing up our series today that we have called Jesus Encounters, and we have these four amazing Greco-Roman biographies about who Jesus is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as we have been looking at these encounters, you know, as I was, we're finishing up today, and really we're just touching the, surf, the surface in this series about all the encounters that we see in the gospel. We just chose seven to talk about. It's good to do a series about Jesus, and it's seven things. And we're finishing up today as we head into Christmas next week. But just going through the Gospels, what our expectation is, is that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is also our life mentor. That he's teaching us about life. He always said the right thing, always did the right thing. He's showing us about God. He's showing us uh, the right way to think about reality and world and all of these different things. And so as we finish up this series today, my prayer for you is that you don't stop now digging into who Jesus is. You know, our mission statement here at the church is moving people closer to Jesus. So what we would love for you to do all of the time is engage with the scriptures um, to find out more about Jesus, what he revealed to us about God. So as we have been reading uh, every week and talking about uh from the scripture about who Jesus is, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Long ago and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So talking about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, is pointing to the fact that the Messiah is coming, Jesus Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is his designation as the Messiah, the anointed one of God. So everything that we see in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant is pointing to the fact that the Savior is coming and his name is Jesus. So the Bible is very Jesus-centric. And so that's what we want to do as we go through the scriptures, Old and New Testament, is what is God teaching us about Jesus? Because, again, Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Scripture is telling us here God spoke to us by the prophets, but now he is speaking to us by his Son, whom... He appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. So Jesus, the pre-existent Son of God. Jesus was there at creation with God the Father and the Holy Spirit creating the world. Now listen, verse 3. Such an important verse, and I, I, I can't stress it enough how important this is. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. So our greatest understanding about what God is like, who God is, is by looking at the person of Jesus, looking at God showing up in the flesh, in Jesus, acting, speaking, teaching. The exact imprint of his nature. Now, the reason I've emphasized this so much over and over again, we're like, Pastor Brent, we've heard this verses every week. Why do you keep reading them? 
is because it's so important for us to remember that we don't get the exact imprint of what God is like from our circumstances. Circumstances are circumstances. Uh, God is not in negative circumstances trying to reveal to us who he is. The exact imprint of his nature is in Jesus. This is why this is so important. And we don't want to also think that the the exact imprint of God's nature is in other Christians we know. Because we will be sorely disappointed every time. Except for my mother. That all of the other Christians we know, they are all fallible. They are all, they all have weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. We all struggle with our flesh. But what so many times what happens in church world, church cultures, people lose their faith because of other Christians. If you lose your faith because of other Christians, your faith was in the wrong spot. But who is the exact radiance of God? Who is it? It's Jesus. Our faith is in him. So we'll never get disillusioned by the way some other believer treats us or some famous Christian or what they do or what they don't do. Or our, our faith is not in They aren't the exact imprint of God's nature. Our, again, our negative circumstances aren't the exact imprint of God's nature. It is found in Jesus. And that's why I want to keep emphasizing that so important. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purifications for us since he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. John chapter 14, same interaction that Jesus had with his disciples. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And as I've said, every thinking person should want to know who God is. This was the question the disciples had. Philip, show us what God is like. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So as we look at Jesus, we learn about who God is. So in week one, we talked about the idea, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men so that we would make him our Lord and our Savior and then we would be influential, leading other people to Christ. Week two, we talked about walking in the light, spiritual light and physical light. We talked about week three, passing the test, choosing the right words to live by. Week four, we talked about Jesus, our healer. Week five, we talked about how Jesus reframed and rejected certain questions and helps us ask truer questions. And last week, we talked about fear not. If you're a follower of um, the, you know, financial markets and the stock market and different things like that. Do you know what happened on Friday? The stock market went down. Do you know why it went down? Because of fear. Jesus shows up. God shows up. And he tells us to fear not. I won't re-preach the message, but they are all available on our website. All right, as we finish today, the title of today's message is Come to Me, Then Go and Serve. So we're going to look at two specific interactions that God, that sorry, that Jesus had with his disciples, pe- teaching people about different things, and just showing us this beautiful invitation that God, through Jesus, gives to everybody. Jesus, as we're going to read here in a second, says, come to me. That he makes a way, that God makes a way in Christ for us to have a relationship with God. And again, this is at the heart of, I believe, everybody's desire. Philip was asking, show us what God is like. We actually want to know God. We want to know the creator. We didn't create all of this. 
all of the world and all of these things. We didn't create, we know that no person did. So we should want to know what God is like. And as we're looking at Jesus, he gives us this invitation, come to me. But let's read the whole context here. It's found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. Sorry, verse 20. He says, then he began to denounce the cities that were most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. So here's an interesting interaction with Jesus. And Jesus had done some miracles in some places, but after he, he did the miracles, they didn't repent. In other words, they didn't turn around. They didn't follow after God. They were skeptics. They didn't believe what had happened. So he is announcing judgment on these cities. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works that had been done in Tyre and Sidon, would, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But if I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have been remained, and they would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than you. So how many think this is an interesting encounter with Jesus? It's like, I don't, you know, Pastor Brian, we've been reading so many good, fun things about Jesus. And then here he's like announcing judgment. He's talking about the day of judgment. He's talking about, you know, people aren't going to make it. This is, maybe this is the non-fun part of who Jesus is. And what's hard for us sometimes to understand, and, and what I think is difficult in any religious circle, and when we talk about, you know, we emphasize and we talk about God is love and God is good. And then the scripture also talks about the wrath of God. And so sometimes we have a difficulty putting these two things together, these two principles, about the character and nature of God. And hopefully I can get across some of these things to you this morning. Now, when we think about the wrath of God, the scripture doesn't say God is wrath. But the scripture does say God is love and God is good. But God also has wrath, but he isn't wrath. So that means the essence of God is goodness and the essence of God is love. And because he is those things, he actually gets angry about stuff. This is how I illustrate this. You know, we're coming close to, to Christmas time here and there's going to be some craziness in the mall. And, you know, some of us are going to make the mistake at some point of taking our toddlers to the mall before a proper nap. Any parents know what's going to happen? You take your kids to the mall before they get a proper map. Maybe they haven't had a snack. Maybe their blood sugar is low. There's going to be a bad situation at the mall, especially if you say no to a toy that they want. Right? What's going to happen? There's going to be some sort of tantrum in the moment, some sort of difficulty. And then maybe, you know, you're a little bit older and, and you're looking at this mom and dad and they're all frazzled and you're just kind of smiling at them. Now, you're not smiling at them because it's fun, but you're like, I've been there. Like, I feel your pain in this moment. But any good parent in that moment when their child is freaking out, maybe having a tantrum, what is the emotion in that parent, for any good parent? It's wrath. Now, does that mean that that parent doesn't love that child? No, that parent loves that child more than anybody. But because 
the essence of that relationship that you have with that child is love and you're a good parent. You are angry when your child misbehaves. Why are you angry when they misbehave? Why are you angry when they sin? Because it hurts them. It's not good for them. And then if you're, you maybe get a little bit older and your kid's a little bit older and they do some sort of other sin that hurts other people, are you like fine with that? No, there's wrath in that moment. Why is there wrath and their anger? Because you love them and you're a good parent. So God isn't wrath, but he has wrath because he loves you and he doesn't love the consequences of sin. That's what makes him angry. That's what makes him wrathful. He isn't wrath. He is love. But because he is love, sin makes him angry. So the thing that Jesus is saying here that's making him angry and and by extension talking about God on the day of judgment is angry with these places that didn't repent, that didn't turn around, that saw miracles take place, knew who Jesus was, didn't turn around makes God angry. He's still love, though. Can you see how these things go together? So there's no reason for us to be confused about these two things, that these things actually make sense for us. They, they actually go together. So this is what Jesus is describing here in this moment. Now that is the precursor to what I'm about to read. Verse 25. And at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and of earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So now Jesus is talking about God's grace in the middle of talking about how sin makes him angry. So it all goes together. God is still a gracious God when he's angry. He's angry at us when we sin. It hurts us. It hurts other people. All these things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now listen, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the invitation for all mankind. Come to me. What a beautiful invitation. Jesus says, come to me. Now, when we separate out this invitation from all other world religions, this is a unique invitation. All all other world religions are some sort of invitation to doctrine, some sort of invitation to ideas to follow that you might experience enlightenment or you might experience paradise if you follow these rules. And all religion is like that. I need you to strive. I need you to work harder. I need you to do this, and you might find yourself in God's good graces. The invitation, the the thing that makes Christianity stand out separate in the world religion conversation is this invitation. It is a personal invitation. Come to me, Jesus says. 
Now, he, he told us to follow his teaching at the Great Commission. But the idea is that we come to him, we, we come to this personal relationship with God. To know and understand who he is. This is the invitation that God gives to everyone. Now think about who God is and who we are. How amazing is that invitation? How profound is that invitation that God, the creator of the universe, says to us, come to me. And then what, what does he say? If you're labor, if you're heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the idea of the invitation that God isn't distant, God isn't somewhere else, that God is close. So we're going to celebrate in the month of December, Emmanuel, God with us. God is close. He says, come to me. God doesn't hate you. Your sin angers him as it should, but God doesn't hate you. God never hates you. God is love. God's not just inviting us to ideas and doctrine. He's inviting us to himself. And then he says this phrase, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Heavy laden. It is my view of a relationship with God a heavy thing or is it a light thing? Because if it's a heavy thing, if it's a burden, we're doing it wrong. Because Jesus said, come to me if you're, if you're carrying this big load. So we have to ask ourselves, do I think about my relationship with God as something that gives me life, or is it this weight I'm carrying? We, we should be engaging in spiritual practices. We should be engaging in Bible reading and, and time with prayer and time with worship, and that's something we're going to talk about in January. But if we're doing those things and it's like a weight, if it's an albatross around our neck that's weighing us down, we're, we're missing the point. It's the invitation to himself. That, that the time in the scripture is time with God, that the time in prayer is time with God. And all of these things should be easy and light. We shouldn't be weighed down with our relationship with God. And he says, I will give you rest. And he says this phrase, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And that's the thing that we are supposed to take on, this character of who Jesus is. This is a familiar theme that we've seen over and over again in these encounters. That God is ask, asking us to humble ourselves. We, we, we talked some verses there about Judgment Day. And I, I heard pastor, one pastor say it like this, you know, on, on Judgment Day, when God asks us the question about our lives, we're either going to say, your will be done, which is the humble response, or we're going to say, my will be done. I'm my own king. I rely on my own goodness and my own righteousness. Or the better answer is to say, Lord, your will be done. Because your will be done is the claim to Jesus, what Jesus has accomplished for us. And that's the humble position. That's the humble place that God is asking us to take in this relationship with himself. The question is, 
will we yield to God? Or will my will be my ultimate idol? What I want, what I want to do, what I choose. The identity that I can dream up. Is that going to be my ultimate idol? Or will I give up my heart to God? Because that is the thing that God wants from all of us. He wants our heart. That's what Jesus was talking about with these cities. What, what didn't they do? They didn't repent. Repent means to turn around and go the other way. That's what it means, physically speaking. I'm going this way. I'm doing my own thing. I'm making my own choices. I'm going to discover who I am. Or I'm going to turn myself to God and say, God, I'm going to get my identity from you. I'm going to yield my life to you. I'm going to yield the throne of my life to you. That's why Jesus is telling us to, to come to him is this humble place and it's light and easy. Because this way of living, just doing your own thing, defining yourself, sitting on the own throne of your life, that is a heavy load to carry. He's asking us to humble ourselves and come to him. How does it finish up? He says, for I am lowly of heart, you will find rest for your souls. See, you can be busy with a restful heart. Or you can be busy with an anxious heart. We talked about that last week. He gives us rest. Now, one of the reasons that a relationship with God gives us rest again, has to do with the context of this whole story. That if I think God is the righteous judge, I don't have to judge the world, and I don't have to judge everybody in the world. See, a part of the big weight that some people are carrying right now is they need to judge everything and everybody, and they have to let us know on social media their judgment of all things and all people. And I would say, that's a heavy load to carry. And really, we've heard it all before. Haven't you heard it all before? You've heard it all before. You've heard both sides of the argument already. But it's a heavy load to carry if we just think we got to get our version of the story, our judgment. But if I'm relying on the righteous judge, for my now and for my eternity, it's, it's a lighter load to carry. And what I can do is I can just love people, even the people I don't agree with. Can I get an amen? Because that's kind of a Christian thing to do, to love your enemies. Right? Are you with me? That's kind of one of Jesus' famous teachings. Love your enemies, not delineate so specifically on social media why you disagree with everybody. That's a heavy load to carry. And it's better to trust that God is the righteous judge and humble ourselves. Come to Jesus, the righteous judge. Come to Jesus, the savior of the world. Come to Jesus, whose yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's a beautiful invitation that he gives us. And what does that mean, the yoke? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a representation of they would have 
to oxen or to animals of some kind, and the wood thing that would go around their necks that would keep them going in the same direction, that is called a yoke. And Jesus said about his teaching, it's easy and it's light. So again, if our relationship with God feels heavy, we're just not doing it right. And it doesn't mean that Jesus had a low standard. If you go to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is raising the standard of his teaching. But again, he's inviting us to himself, the righteous judge. So that I don't have to be the judge of the world, but I know that I'm coming to the one who is the righteous judge, who is the person that I can trust, that on the cross, because he was righteous and sinless, he could take my sin and he could take your sin. And the wrath of God was poured out on him instead of us so that we could walk in a relationship with God that's easy and it's light and my sin is separated from myself because of what Jesus has done. This is the reason for the invitation. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. It's not hard and it's not heavy. This is beautiful righteousness that we get to walk in. And then the last story we're going to talk about today as we finish today and as we finish this series. Now, this is one of Jesus' very last teachings. And, you know, if, you know, if you're, your kids or you're leaving them or they're going somewhere, you kind of save your important words to the end. So this is some of Jesus' really important words here in John chapter 13, verse 1 says this. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that, the, that his hour had come to depart out of the world, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that phrase. He's loving them so much that he's going to teach them something that's really important. And by implication, he's teaching us the same thing. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So that's an amazing thing to think about. That in this moment, that Jesus had all of this authority. That he was going to the cross for us. Verse 4, rose up from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, this is significant because in this time, we know that people, there was no paved road, so everywhere, everywhere where people went, they were walking, and they were wearing sandals, and they always had dirty feet. And any house they would go into, usually there was a servant there that had a water basin who would wash people's feet as they entered into houses. And this person was sort of thought as the lowliest servant in the house. And so Jesus now is identifying with this servant in the house. He's tying this towel around his waist, and he's starting to wash their feet. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, do you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if, you, if, you, if I do not wash you, you will have no share with me. 
Simon Peter said, Lord, not wash my feet, but my hands also and my head. Peter always going to the extremes. <laughs> Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? So Jesus was illustrating something to them. A couple of things, obviously, he's going to be cleansing them from their sin coming up on the cross. But then him identifying with the lowliest servant in the house. He said, you're not really going to understand what's happening. You'll, you'll understand later. And then he says that he's talking and if they, they would understand what he had just done. Listen, verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, again, I, I, this doesn't necessarily mean for you to do what Jesus does, that, you, that I need to take my shoes off and you need to wash my feet and vice versa. The point of the story, the representation, what Jesus is trying to get across to him, to us, is that he lowered himself as to serve everybody. In other words, everybody in the house is better than me so I can serve them. Now, they're, they're not actually better than you, but the attitude that you're taking on is that I can serve everybody. I can be the servant to all. And this is the thing that Jesus waited to the end to teach his disciples. Something that was really important. For I've given you this example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Verse 16, truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So this is an attitude for us to take on. That we would have this attitude. And what is he saying here in verse 16? A servant is not greater than his master. So in other words, that's us. Jesus is our master and our Lord. So if we don't take on the attitude of a servant, we are saying we're greater than Jesus. If somehow we don't integrate this into our lives, we're kind of missing the point. Jesus said, I came to serve not to be served. Now, if anybody could have said, I, I came so that everybody could serve me, it was Jesus, the Son of God, the sinless Lamb of God, God manifest in the flesh, the Messiah, the Christ, worked all these miracles. If anybody could have sat on a physical throne and said, bring me the grapes, Bring me the fan and wave it upon me. It could have been Jesus, but what did he say? He said, I came to serve. And this attitude, the heart of this, is what our lives are about as followers of Jesus. 
This is why on our city team shirts, and it's not there by accident, it says serving is our calling. Because Jesus is calling all of his followers to do this, to have this attitude, to think that everybody in the house is better than me so I can serve them. Not above people. I can have this attitude that I can serve everybody. And this works everywhere. This works in your house. This works in your marriage. This works with your kids. This works with your parents. This works at the job. Every successful business has figured out you need good customer service. To serve your customers well, you will have a successful business. God showed up in the flesh, said to his followers, this is the attitude that we need to take. This is the thing that we need to have at the center of us. See, being great is not a bad desire. It's the methodology to get there. And how are you going to be great? Jesus said, the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. So we should all desire to be great. But it's not by being a big shot. It's by saying, who can I serve? How can I help? Give yourself to others. This is the way of the cross. Give your life for others. Dads, good dads, what do we do? We give our lives for our families. Moms, good moms, what do they do? We give our lives for our families. Friends, we're good friends. What do you do? You give your life for your friends. You know, we did a baby dedication this morning. And we, we see this referenced here as well. And when we think about serving children, see, the thing about serving children is they have nothing to give back. That's why there's something pure and good about it, and that's why Jesus kept bringing it up. Put a child in their midst. This child can't do anything for you. I have two grown children, and I can tell you, they don't do a lot for me, but I'm happy about it. I make a lot of jokes. But Nicole and I give our lives for them. And it's not because we're great. This is the heart of the Father. Do you see this? The heart of the Father, the heart of who Jesus is, is I'm going to the cross for you. I'm giving my life for you. Thank God we don't have to go to the cross. But what do we do? We give our lives to serve. It's a sacrifice. See, it's not about somebody else calling you out to go and serve. But it's being inspired by what Jesus tells us. He was this example. He showed us how to do this. Humbling ourselves to serve others the way Jesus did. He invites us close. And then he invites you into greatness through serving. Serving. 
praise today. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love today. We thank you that you are good and you are loving. And that you give us this invitation to come to you. Because of your love and your mercy and grace. Because of what you have done on the cross. You have made a way for us to know you. We thank you for that, Lord. We we give up the throne of our lives to you. We yield ourselves to you. Because you are the righteous judge. You are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. We give up that place of being the judge of all people. We just yield ourselves to you, Lord, because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And God, we thank you that you have called us into this life of serving. That you showed us what life is really all about. God, and we do this from the heart that you gave us this example. Thank you, Lord, that you help us to see that true living is a life of service. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you are in the room this morning and you have never said yes to Jesus or you're watching us online today, this invitation that we just read, Jesus saying, come to me, is the invitation that he gives you today. He says, come to me because he's made a way for you to come to him by coming to us all. We don't offer God our own goodness or our own righteousness. We don't offer God some version of religion and say, God, will you accept me now that God gives it to us by grace, offers it to us. And all we have to do is say yes. So if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer here in a second. I invite you to pray along with me. This prayer is just the starting point. Jesus calls us to be his disciples, which means to be a learner, a lifelong learner. He calls us into this life of repentance. In other words, turning from the things that I would choose to do to turning to his ways. But everybody needs a starting point. So our prayer is this is a starting point for somebody today. So whether you're in the room or online, as I pray today, you pray along with me out loud. So church, we're all going to bow our heads and close our eyes, and we're going to pray this out loud together to help somebody who's maybe praying it for the very first time. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross, and you raised him from the dead so I could know you. So I say yes to that relationship today. I say yes to your righteousness. God, I call you my Father. Jesus, I call you my Lord. God, I purpose to follow after your ways. And I turn from my own. I thank you for salvation today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's congratulate those that did that for the first time. Hey, if that is 
you today and you did that uh, for the very first time. Uh, we actually have some materials that we would love to put into your hand. There's the info desk there on the lobby. You just let them know that you prayed that prayer, and they will be happy to give you those resources that will help you on your journey of faith. If you are watching us online today, if you would email us at info at thecitychurch.ca and you prayed that prayer, made that decision to follow Jesus, we will get those same materials into your hands. We're so excited that you started that life of following Jesus today. And also, we've been having new people uh, show up at our church the last little while. We started attending online and have been the, into the physical building uh, for the first time. So if that is you today, we give you a welcome. So great to see you if you're here. If you are here today and this is your first time in the building, also go to the info desk. Uh, we would love to connect with you and give you some materials about our church. All right, remember... Next Sunday, we are kicking off Christmas. It's going to be a great season of Christmas, and we're going to be doing our carols and candles on Christmas Eve. We'll let you know uh, when you can register for that service, but that's an exciting time for us coming up for Christmas. Have an amazing afternoon, and we will see you next Sunday. You are dismissed.